Uh, good afternoon all and I want to welcome you to our second session this afternoon and this is session number six. six. How did you know? <laughs> and um, this afternoon we're going to continue on in this journey, discover hope, finding peace in uncertain times. And I hope and pray that these messages are providing wonderful hope, um, that you're finding wonderful certainty in God's Word during these very uncertain times that you and I live in. This afternoon's message is entitled, New Beginnings. And I want to begin by taking you back almost 50 years to when my mum and dad were married. Um, do they look like my parents? Do I look like I came from that mould? Yes, I do. You can see some resemblance there. Anyway, that was many moons ago. They got married in Macedonia uh, back in um, 1969. Um, so that's many moons ago. 1969. That's when they got married. <laughs> not very long ago. Yeah, no, it's not. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe 1929 might be a little way ago, but not 1969. <laughs> you got married in 1968, Neil. Good for you. Well, I got married in 1995, so there you go. <laughs> so they're my parents, and um, an opportunity was given to them. To, to leave Macedonia and, um, and head on over to Australia. So they took that opportunity on this very ship, this Italian ship, the SS Galileo Galilei, um, specially built and designed to transport passengers from the former Yugoslavia all the way through to Australia. I don't know if anyone here went on that ship, but my parents sailed for some 30 days on this ship. And as I pointed out earlier, um, my mother was pregnant, three months pregnant with me when she jumped on the ship. And that's another story for another day. And I believe it's a miracle um, that she actually got through that pregnancy and that I'm here today. I believe that's a miracle. Um, but anyway, here they were on the ship. 30 days later, they arrived in Melbourne um, in February of 1971 and a few months later there you go um, there I was yes not not the not the best looking baby but that's all right they they, they couldn't go trade me in they couldn't trade me in this is what they were stuck with and so be it and so there is their little boy born on the 7th of the 7th of the 71st nice and easy to remember so yeah my birthday's coming up and um, if you want to Get me something, I won't complain. <laughs> new beginnings, new beginnings. Uh, my parents, and I thank God that my parents took that opportunity to leave Macedonia. I've been back there a number of times. I love the place. Um, I love the villages from where they're from. But life is pretty tough there. Life is pretty tough. The opportunities are not what we have here in Australia. And um, who knows what I would have ended up doing there in Macedonia. And I thank God that my parents took the opportunity to make a new start, a new beginning here in Australia. And I thank God for Australia, the most beautiful country in the world. Amen? Yes. Absolutely. We are so blessed to live in such a blessed nation. Well, today we want to take a look at the ultimate new beginning that God offers us. Not another country, but something even greater and something even more special and how we can, how we can receive that new beginning. So as always, before we open up God's Word, what do we need to do? We need to pray. So let's do that right now. Father in heaven, we ask and pray that as we 
look into this beautiful subject of how we can have a new beginning, how we can have a new start, a fresh start with Christ. We pray that He will open our words and open up our minds and our hearts that we may be willing to receive this beautiful message from His Word today. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We want to begin by going to the book of Revelation this afternoon. And in the book of Revelation, we have God's final message of love to the world. It's a message that is proclaimed by three angels, these three symbolic angels that are flying in the midst of heaven. And they are proclaiming a very special message to prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus. This is how this message begins. The first angel begins with this message and we read in Revelation 14 verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the what? The everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue and people. So this message is to go to everyone. Very clear. Every nation, kindred, tongue and people. What did Jesus say? This gospel will go to how much of the world? All the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 14 as we have already discovered. Now, the message of Jesus and the gospel is placed in an end time framework, in an end time context here in Revelation chapter 14 and it is described as the everlasting gospel. Now, we know what the word everlasting means but what does the word gospel mean? It simply means good news. That's right. Good news. That's what the word means. Good news. And so what is the good news that God has for this planet? Notice these words in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. We read, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men and women to be what? Saved, Saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now who ultimately is the truth? Jesus, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, verse 6. So God's ultimate plan is that every single man, woman, and child, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, as we've just read, that every single person is exposed and given the opportunity to understand how they can be saved and how they can accept the truth, the one who is the truth, and that is Jesus Christ himself. In our last presentation, we discovered that God has done everything He possibly could do in order to save us. Isn't that right? God did not leave anything behind in giving to this world Jesus Christ as our sin-pardoning Savior. God was willing to empty out heaven. God was willing to bankrupt heaven in order to save us. And so when God so loved the world and He gave His only begotten Son, He gave everything. So, the question is, how can you and I accept that gift of salvation? How can a person be saved? That's God's plan. He wants all to be saved, none to perish, none to be lost. At the end of his life, Jesus shared these words with his disciples that we have recorded there in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. And he said to them, that is to his disciples, you can also find this same account in Matthew chapter 28, also in Luke and also in the book of Acts. And he said to them, go into how much of the world? All the world and preach the gospel. There it is, the good news to every creature. He who does what? 
believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So Jesus here makes it abundantly clear, and it's simple enough for a five-year-old to understand. You and I can only be saved by believing, by putting our faith and trust in Jesus. It's a gift, a wonderful gift. And we accept that by faith. We accept that by what? By faith in Jesus Christ. It's a special gift. Now, how do we accept that? Jesus goes on and he says, you accept that by being baptized. That is the outward show that you have accepted this gift of salvation. That demonstrates to the world, that demonstrates to the universe that you are now a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ. So this afternoon, we want to take a look at baptism and what baptism entails. What does baptism mean? Why did Jesus give us the ritual of baptism as an outward expression of putting our faith and trust in Him, of believing in Him, and by believing in Him, being baptized? Being saved, I should say. Baptism is a symbol of our commitment, loyalty, and allegiance to Jesus Christ. We're going to get to this in a little bit, but it's just like marriage. Have you heard of marriage? Yes, we all have heard of marriage, and some of us are married today. Some of us may have been married, but we are all familiar with marriage. Now, what is marriage? Marriage is the outward demonstration by two people that they do what? That they love one another and they want to spend a few moments with each other. No, they want to spend how long with each other? For the rest of their lives until death do us what? Even if it kills me, I'm going to hang around with you. Is that right? No, not quite. Not quite that death till do us but. Baptism is the outward show, the outward symbol, just like marriage, that we demonstrate before everyone that we are committed to Jesus Christ. Baptism is mentioned approximately 80 times in the New Testament. Throughout the New Testament, you can read where God has given us this wonderful symbol, this, this, this wonderful ordinance of baptism. In fact, the word baptism, it means, it comes from the Greek word baptizo, and it means to dip, to immerse, to plunge underwater. Now today, there are many forms of baptism. Uh, there are three predominant uh, forms of baptism that, that Christian communities practice. Uh, they practice this uh, very means, which is to dip a person completely under the water, to submerge a person under the water, is what the Bible teaches as far as baptism goes. And then there is sprinkling, um, and then there is pouring. They're the kind of the three major forms of baptism. Some of you may have been sprinkled, some of you may have had water poured on you, some of you may have been baptized. Um, fully immersed in the water. The Bible speaks of baptism by full immersion. Why? Notice, baptism is a fitting symbol of a new resurrected life in Christ, a new beginning. Notice what we read in the book of Romans, chapter 6 and verse 3 and onwards. The Apostle Paul writes, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his what? Into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Here the Apostle Paul compares baptism to a new life in Christ. 
I've summarized the words of the Apostle Paul just to make it a little bit easier for us to understand this illustration or this analogy that he is using. Just as Jesus died, was buried, and then was resurrected, so the new Christian dies to the old life of sin, is buried beneath the water in baptism, and then rises to live a new life in Christ. Can you see why the Bible speaks of baptism by full immersion? It's the only symbol, it's the only form that illustrates the new beginning that we can have in Jesus Christ. As we've discovered in the past, you and I are not interested, or we shouldn't be interested, in what we think is right. What you and I think is right is not necessarily right. Isn't that true? You can be sincerely wrong. Amen? Isn't that true? You can be very sincere but be very wrong at the same time. Sincerity is, is no gauge for what is truth. The only thing that is truth is what? The Bible. The Bible is the only thing that we have to go on that is completely true. Completely true. And the Bible says there's only one baptism. There's only one baptism that God recognizes. And that is full immersion. And it's because it beautifully demonstrates and illustrates their new birth in Christ. When a person is baptized, they go under the water. That's a symbol that the old life has been what? Buried, buried, dead and buried. And when the person comes up out of the water, that's a sign, a symbol, an outward expression that I want to have a new life in Christ. It's no longer that Danny is in control of his life. Now Jesus Christ is in control of Danny's life. Does that make sense, yes or no? It's a new life. It's a new beginning. That is what baptism is. Notice what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a what? A new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I love this scripture because it tells me that I can have a brand new start with Jesus. Through the act of baptism, I can have a completely new beginning. The past, and it doesn't matter what was in the past. It doesn't matter how bad I was in the past. But when I'm baptized, I bury the past completely and I am now risen into a new life, a new experience, new allegiance, and the old has passed away and all things have become new. In fact, the Bible often compares Christ's love and relationship with his people in marital terms. The New Testament, the Old Testament often compares God's love for his people in marital terms. Let me just give you one example. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, we read these words. Husbands, love your who? Love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Christ, in the Bible, in the New Testament, is pictured as the husband. His people, his church, are pictured as his bride. And so here we're invited by God as husbands, those of us that are husbands, to love our wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Preparing for your baptism is very similar to preparing to get married. How many of you here are married? 
Okay, all right. How many of you have been married? Okay, probably a few others have, have been married. Um, preparing for your baptism is very similar to preparing to get married. Well, let me put it to you. Before you get married, you should truly love the person. How many of you believe that's true? Well, well you don't want to get married because they've got so much money in the bank or they drive a certain car. You don't want to get married to the person because of that reason. You want to get married to the person because you truly love them. How many of you think that's a good enough reason? Absolutely. I wouldn't want my wife marrying me for any other reason but because she really did love me. Notice what the Bible says. In Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You are ready to get baptized when you truly love Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, with everything. You love him with who you are and everything that you are. You are then ready to be baptized until you love Jesus with all of your heart. Guess what? You are not ready to make that commitment. Just like in marriage. Until you truly love the person, don't bother saying I do. It's not going to turn out well. Secondly, before you get married, you should be willing to commit to be faithful till death do your part. Is that true? Absolutely. I don't know about your wedding vows, but 23 years ago when I was married, um, I very clearly stated, I don't know, in the presence of all these witnesses, in the presence of Almighty God, I will love you and care for you and do everything you say. I don't think that was part of it. Um, <laughs> it is today. It is today. It, it, it's turned out like that somehow. <laughs> but I will love you until death do us part. Isn't that true? That's what we say. Well, guess what? The relationship with Jesus is in the same manner till death do us part. Notice these words from Jesus recorded in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Jesus says, be faithful unto what? Until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Does that sound like till death do us part? Absolutely. But the good news is, when you give your heart and life to Jesus, death will not do you part. You will never, ever be truly separated from Christ. You will rest in Christ in death, and we're going to talk about that next weekend. But when you are with Christ, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, neither death, nor life, nor things above, nor things below, nor anything can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you and me from Jesus Christ because He is the one who is the resurrection and the life. He is the one that has the keys to death and the grave. He is the one that gives eternal life. You and I, can be faithful to Jesus unto death. That's why many have been faithful to Jesus unto death. They have been willing to give up their very lives. And today, as we speak, here in this beautiful country that we live in, we have wonderful freedoms in Australia. Uh, we can practice our faith in peace. There are places around the world right now where, where professed followers of Christ, followers of Christ, are literally giving up their lives for Jesus. Did you know that? Absolutely. Every year, thousands of Christians lose their lives for no other reason other than their faithfulness to Jesus Christ. Thirdly, before you get married, you should understand what you are signing up for. Is that true? 
Oh, absolutely. You better know what you're signing. You better know what you're signing on that bit of paper. Someone better give you a heads up. Imagine signing the paperwork and then realizing what you've done. What? I have to spend the rest of my life with this person? Did I just sign this? I can't trade her in. I can't trade him in. You need to know what you're signing up for. Baptism is so important. You need to understand what you're getting into. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Notice Jesus says, before you baptize someone, ensure that they understand my teachings. Ensure that they understand the basics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a disciple? Observing all things that I've commanded to you. So, so you and I, we need to know what's involved. Jesus said you need to be willing to count the cost. You know, before you step into something, you need to understand what you're signing up for. Very important. Fourthly, before you get married, you should be willing to forsake all other intimate relationships. Is that fair enough? Do you think the marriage is going to last very long if you've got one or two people on the side that you're hanging out with, as well as your wife or your husband? Is, that, is the marriage going to last very long? No, it's not. So when you and I get married, we make a decision that will be faithful to this person alone. That the other seven and a half billion people in the world will simply be friends or acquaintances, but they're not going to be my intimate lifelong partner. In the same way, baptism is about ensuring that Jesus Christ is your forever best friend, that you give your allegiance to him above and beyond everyone and anyone else. How do we know that? Well, in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, once again, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. Now, who is a disciple? What is a disciple? We use the word today, but do we really know what that word means? You go home and, and look up the word disciple. Take a look at what the word means. In fact, in your handout that you will receive um, at the end of this presentation, I have given you a number of scriptures there where Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you need to be willing to do this, 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 this. In a nutshell, a disciple was someone who was completely dedicated to his or her master. An individual who wanted to be just like his or her teacher. Completely surrendered, completely sold out, completely faithful. No other master, no other teacher completely faithful to the teachings and the life and the example of their teacher that they wanted to emulate. So when Jesus said, go ye therefore and make disciples, what Jesus was inviting his disciples to do was to go out and to invite as many as were willing to be followers of Jesus, to follow the example of Jesus. To follow what example? Of Jesus. To follow his example. So that is what baptism is. When you are baptized, you are saying before the whole world, I want to live my life just like Jesus. Does that make sense, yes or no? Absolutely, that's what the Bible teaches. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who's not a part-time follower of Jesus. 
just like you can't be a part-time husband or a part-time wife. Isn't that true? It doesn't work very well. It's all or nothing. And that's exactly what Jesus said over and over again. I want to share with you the story of Hilda who illustrates and demonstrates this wholehearted commitment to Christ, this wholehearted consecration, no matter what the cost. Back in 2004, I was invited to go to the Solomon Islands um, to run a program such as this there for a very uh, rural community far away from Honiara. I know you have ministered there in the Solomon Islands. Neil, in the place of Sukiki. Did you ever go to the little place of Sukiki on the weather coast? Oh, you know that man. There you go. You know that pastor. And... Um, this young lady, she came along to the programs. Um, now, I want to share with you Hilda's story. Hilda came in one night and she wanted to talk with me. She wanted me to pray for her. And she began to share her story with me through an interpreter. She couldn't speak English, but there was someone who was interpreting. She shared with me what took place only a couple of weeks before her coming to these programs. You see, in her village, someone like me, just a local, had gone into the village and had run meetings like this and had invited the people to come along and the people came along and Hilda was one that came along. She was from um, a very strong Christian family. I won't mention the name of the faith um, that they had. Uh, however, her father was not very happy about her going to these meetings. He was concerned that that she would possibly change her faith or, or that she would be influenced in a negative way. And so he didn't want her to go along. But she was determined to go along. She had heard from the Bible beautiful messages of hope and she wanted to follow God's word. She discovered the truth about baptism. She had been sprinkled as a little baby and she discovered that God was inviting her to be baptized as an individual who made this decision by themselves, a decision that she chose to make and not her parents. And so she made a decision to be baptized as a 14-year-old. Well, she shared this news with her family, and her dad was very, very angry, extremely angry. He said to her, Hilda, if you get baptized, you no longer have a place in this family. You are dead and buried as far as our family is concerned. And she knew he was very serious. So Hilda had a big decision to make. Would she follow Jesus at the cost of being completely isolated from her family at the age of 14? Or would she continue on with her family and not fulfill that which Christ had placed upon her heart through his word. A huge decision for a 14-year-old to make. She made a decision to be baptized. She got baptized with a number of other people. She came home, and Hilda's telling me this story. As tears were beginning to roll down her cheeks, and I said, Hilda, what happened next? Well, she said, she came home, and her father was waiting for her at the front door. And her father asked her just one question. And that was, Hilda, did you get baptized today? And Hilda looked into her father's face and she says, yes, father, I did.
At that point, her father took two bags that he had packed for her, her belongings. He gave them to Hilda and he said, Hilda, you are no longer welcome in this family. Hilda was crying and you can imagine what I was doing. And I said to her, I said, Hilda, what are you going to do now? Where are you going to go now? You know what she said to me? With a smile on her face, she says, Pastor Danny, I don't know what the future holds for me, but I do know that Jesus loves me and he has a future for me. That was Hilda. She made the ultimate commitment to Christ. That is what a disciple is. Someone who's willing to put Jesus ahead of everyone and anyone, including your very own family. Did Hilda love her family? Absolutely. Absolutely. Did she want to leave her family? No, not on your life. But when it came to making a decision of who would be first and foremost in her life, she chose Jesus Christ and she suffered the consequences, as many do today. One day Jesus is going to stand up for Hilda. You know what Jesus said to people like Hilda and many others and all of us if we're willing to take that stand for Christ? This is what we read. The words of Jesus in Matthew 10 verse 32. Therefore whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. If you and I confess Jesus Christ, if you and I are willing to stand up for Jesus in the here and now, even when it's uncomfortable, even when there are serious consequences, even life itself at risk, at stake, Jesus says, when I come, I'm going to stand up for you because you made a stand for me. That's what it means to be baptized. It means to make a stand for Jesus Christ. Before baptism, I need to be willing to confess all of my sins to Jesus and ask forgiveness for all of my sins. This is why a little baby cannot be baptized according to Scripture. Does a little baby know that it's doing the wrong thing? No, I tried to explain to my little girls that it was the wrong thing for them to wake me up at 3 o'clock in the morning for me to change their nappy and for me to feed them. It was totally inappropriate and they shouldn't be doing it. Did they worry? Did they care? Did they know what they were doing was wrong? No, they didn't. Little babies don't know. Until you get to that age where you're able to discern right and wrong, you don't understand the difference between what is right and what is wrong. That's why we can only be baptized, biblically speaking, when we have an understanding of what sin is and what repentance is and what it means to be forgiven. In fact, this is what the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said to them, repent. What's that word? Repent. Before we move on and read the rest of the scripture, do you know what the word repent means? The word repent simply means to do a U-turn. It means to do what? A U-turn. It means you're going in one direction, you're going in the wrong direction, and you come face to face with Jesus, you come face to face with his word, and you realize you're heading in the wrong direction, and you do a complete U-turn, as many of you have done, as I have done, when we've realized we're not following the GPS where it should be leading us, or you're not heading in the right direction, and you do a U-turn, and you head towards where God would have you go based on his word. 
I had to do a U-turn at the age of 18. Many of you have had to do a U-turn. You were heading in one direction that you thought was right. You were confronted with the Word of God and you realized, wow, I am heading to hell and not to heaven. And you make a deliberate choice to head in the opposite direction. You do a U-turn. That's the word for repent. U-turn. Do a U-turn. Repent and let every one of you be what? Baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what empowers us to live that Christ-like life each and every day. Each and every day. We become more like Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is not the end of the journey. It is only the beginning of a new day-by-day -day journey with your best forever friend, Jesus. That's what baptism is. Baptism is not about being perfect. Don't misunderstand me. Please don't misunderstand. Don't think that you need to be perfect before you're baptized. Nobody would be baptized. Because the Bible is very clear. There is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible also says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's only one perfect person that ever lived on this planet, and that is who? Jesus Christ. So baptism is not about being perfect, but it's about perfectly putting your trust in Jesus. There's a big difference between the two. Let me say that again. Baptism is not about you being perfect, no, but it's about you putting your faith and trust and eyes upon Jesus who is perfect and having perfect trust in Him. That's what baptism entails. Perfect trust in Jesus Christ. But I don't perfectly trust Jesus. Well, then you're not ready to be baptized. Until you perfectly put your faith and trust in Jesus, in His sacrifice, in His love, you're not ready to be baptized. When you do, then you're ready. And that's when God will continue to do this good work in you. As we read in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, notice what it says. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of who? Jesus Christ. I love this scripture. This scripture gives me so much hope. Because I'm not what I want to be. But I thank God I'm not what I used to be, but I praise God that He has better plans for what I can be in the future. And the good news about the Christian walk, the good news about walking in the footsteps of Jesus is that day by day, that good work that He begins in us, He will complete it all the way until the day of Jesus Christ. He does the work in us if we will allow Him. There's no struggling there's no fighting. It's simply surrendering. Surrendering to Jesus and allowing Him to do His good work in us. Sadly, many Christians fall and fail for one primary reason. And you know what that one primary reason is? Their focus is on themselves and how bad they are and how, and how far they fall short rather than looking to Jesus. When you look to Jesus, then He is able to perform that good work in you. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We need to look to Christ. The more you look to Jesus and the less you look to yourself, the more you become like Jesus. The more you look to yourself and the less you look to Jesus, the more you become like you. 
Does that make sense? Absolutely. The Bible says, by beholding, we become changed. Who are you looking at? Are you looking at yourself and your faults and your failings? Are you looking at your neighbor, your friend, your fellow Christian in the pew? Or are you looking at Jesus? The more we look at Jesus, the more we become like him. It happens like a metamorphosis, a beautiful transformation, day by day, as the Apostle Paul writes, and God will complete it on the day of Jesus Christ. Well, is baptism ever, sure, I should begin, is rebaptism ever appropriate? I have people asking me, is rebaptism ever appropriate? You know, I've been baptized once upon a time. Should I be rebaptized? What does the Bible teach? Well, let's take a look at rebaptism and when it is appropriate. Rebaptism is appropriate if you have not been baptized by immersion. So you were baptized as a little child um, and you were not baptized. Uh, at a time when you made that decision for yourself and you could make that decision for yourself, then the Bible teaches us that we need to be baptized according to Scripture, not according to a tradition of man. And by the way, by the way, the Christian church practiced adult baptism or baptism by immersion all the way up until about seven, eight hundred years ago. Did you know that? If you go to Western Europe today, and you go to the Middle East, there you'll discover ancient churches. And I had all these slides, but due to time, I, I took them out. Churches, ancient churches, um, from about the 2nd and 3rd and 4th century AD, um, probably the 3rd and 4th century AD is when, is when we have these ancient churches that have been excavated, um, that have these baptismal fonts there in the church, about 3 to 4 feet deep that um, individuals were baptized in. There was no such thing as sprinkling and pouring in the early church. And that sadly came in about 1300, after, 1300 years after Christ, sprinkling and pouring came into the church as a tradition just to make things a little bit more convenient. But I don't know about you, I'm not into convenience, I'm into conviction based on God's truth. Amen? That's what I'm interested in, what God says, rather than what's convenient. Secondly, um, if I have walked away from Jesus, rebaptism, if I have walked away from Jesus, you, you, you have, in a literal sense, been divorced from Christ. You have chosen to live a very different life to the life that you signed up for when you accepted Christ and you were baptized initially. And I have rebaptized many individuals um, who have come back to the Lord, who have given their allegiance and faith to Him. Thirdly, rebaptism is appropriate if you have discovered significant new truth. In the book of Acts, chapter 19, there we have the story of the Apostle Paul um, coming into a region, and there he is confronted by disciples of John the Baptist. And uh, these disciples had been baptized by John, and the Apostle Paul asks them, have you heard of the Holy Spirit? They hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit. So the Bible says they were rebaptized. They had learned significant new truth and they chose to be rebaptized based on these new teachings that they had heard. Now, if you've been baptized by immersion, 
You don't need to be rebaptized, but if you have learned significant new truths, certainly there is a biblical precedent for that, and I certainly encourage people to strongly consider that. Another question people ask me is, do I need to join a church when I'm baptized? Today, it's very popular in many circles to be baptized into Christ, but not into any church or into any denomination. People tend to love Jesus, but don't tend to love the churches. Have you come across that? Absolutely. There are many people who are like, I love Jesus with all my heart. I want to be baptized into Christ, but I really don't want to join a church. Well, that sounds good on the outside, but is it biblical? That's the question we always need to ask. Is it biblical to be baptized into Christ without joining the fellowship of a church? Let's find out what the Bible says. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, we read these words. Then those who gladly received his word, that is, the apostle Peter who was preaching on the day of Pentecost, were what? Baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now, who are the them that this passage is referring to? Well, we don't need to guess. In verse 47, we read who they are. And the Lord added to the what? Church, daily those who are being saved. So in the time of the book of Acts, when those 3,000 were baptized on the day of Pentecost, they were added to the church. Now, why is church so important? Why do we not only become part of the family of Christ, the heavenly family of Christ, but also the earthly family of Christ? Why is it important to be part of a church family? You see, just like a baby needs a family, so too a person who accepts Christ, the person who wants to be a disciple of Christ, needs a family. We're not to be spiritual orphans. We need a family to encourage us, to strengthen us, to nurture us. Also, a church family builds your character. Builds your what? Character, because guess what? In the church, there are all sorts of people. Isn't that true? There are the nice people, then there are the not-so-nice people. Isn't that true? And if the truth be told, if the truth be told, we all have prickles. Isn't that true? We're all full of prickles. I'll probably have more prickles than you, but you've still got some prickles. Trust me. I can see them. No. <laughs> We all have prickles, and the beauty of church is that it develops our character. Now, how does it develop our character? It enables us to love one another, even though there are those prickles. You understand what I'm saying? It's easy for me to hang out with my brother, Neil. It's wonderful for me to hang out with my brother, Neil. I love hanging out with him. We're on the same page. We see things very, very much similar. Uh, you know, we look at Scripture, we understand it, we love the same things. He loves what I do, I love what he does. It's easy to hang out with the people that you love, that you enjoy being around, that are just like you. But guess what? It's another story altogether to hang out with the people who are very obnoxious and a pain in the neck and are completely opposite to you. Isn't that true? And the good news is, you may not see it as good news, in the good news, the good news is that in the local church, any church, there are all sorts. I haven't come across one single church where everyone is just beautiful, saintly. 
Not one. That's because I'm not beautiful and saintly. <laughs> and so God develops a character as we show love towards those who are not being very loving towards us. As we offer words of kindness to someone who is not very kind to us, that develops our character to be more like Jesus. And that ultimately is the aim. Isn't that true? Church, there are so many blessings associated with church fellowship. That's why it's an essential ingredient in being a follower of Jesus. Well, what can I expect at my baptism? You can expect what Jesus received at his baptism. Notice what the Bible says. When Jesus was baptized in Matthew 3.16, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. At your baptismal day, you can know full well that these words apply to you also. These words apply to every single person, man, woman and child on the planet who puts their faith and trust in Jesus. The father cries out, You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. In you today, I am well pleased. You can expect at your baptism what Jesus heard at his baptism. There, placed within your heart. I want to finish off by sharing with you the powerful, moving story of Jane. Here is Jane uh, getting baptized at the age of 50. Um, there's her friend Liz, um, who led her to Christ in a very beautiful and precious way. And there I am with the privilege of, of baptizing uh, Jane. Now Jane um, was diagnosed with cancer. And Jane sadly fought and fought and fought the cancer, but it took her life in the end. Jane made a decision at the age of 50 to surrender her life to Jesus. She had a mother and a father that had prayed for her for over three decades. And she kept saying no, no, no to Jesus. And then this tragic disease ravaged her body, took her body. But in the process, she gave her life to Christ. At her baptism, she shared her testimony. She wrote it down. And I have it here with me. I want to share with you, it's a three-page testimony, I won't read it. I want to share with you her words that she shared with all those that were present at her baptism about eight, nine months before she passed away a couple of years ago. She shared these words, and I've got them up on the screen for you. If you haven't invited Jesus into your own life as yet, I can highly recommend the experience. It is my belief that our time here on earth is very short indeed and that Jesus will soon return, just as he has promised, to claim his believers and destroy Satan and sin forevermore. How I long to see that day. I pray that we will all be ready to go home with him. That was Jane. Jane went to her rest with the promised assurance that one day she will see Jesus again. She gave her life to Jesus. The past was eradicated. 
She had a new beginning in Christ. All the things that she had done, the way she had lived for those five decades were now buried in the past, never again to rise. And now Jane looked forward to the day when Jesus will soon return and claim all of his believers, all those that put their faith and trust in him, and destroy Satan and sin forever. What Jane experienced, you and I have the opportunity to experience as well. That new beginning, that wonderful peace that comes from giving our lives to Christ. Jane now is resting in the grave, awaiting the return of Jesus. I'm looking forward to seeing Jane again. Looking forward to seeing her again when Jesus comes. Jane shared a number of scriptures. I want to share with you just this one scripture that she shared. Jeremiah 29.11, at the end of her testimony, she shared this message for all those who were there. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. To give you a future and a hope. This afternoon, I want to leave you with this beautiful final invitation that we find in Scripture. Where in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 17, we read, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Come. It's an invitation to come. Jesus says, Come. It doesn't matter what you have done. I don't care, says Jesus, what you have done. I don't care about your past. All I care about is your future. Come. Come to me as you are and then watch what I will do with your life, how I will transform it, how I will make a new life, how I will give you a new beginning. I want to invite you to stand with me as we, as we close in prayer. Just thank God for the time that we've had this afternoon together. Loving Father in heaven, we just want to thank you so much for your word. We want to thank you so much for this beautiful, this beautiful expression of our faith toward you that you have given to us through the act of baptism. Father, we thank you for this service. It, it, it is beautiful. It's so meaningful. It helps us to know how we can put the past behind us and how we can look to the future and the wonderful eternal future that you have for us. It's my prayer, Father, that each and every person here and those who are watching on DVD or those who may be watching online, Father, that each and every person will give their hearts and lives to you completely. We thank you and praise you for your blessings. We thank you for the gift of eternal life. Bless us now as we go our separate ways. Keep us close to you and uh, keep us looking always only unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For this is our prayer, our earnest prayer in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and Amen and Amen.